Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my trusty co-host, Mark Etheridge. I've upgraded you, Mark. You're now my trusty co-host. And we all love a promotion, don't we? Um, that's right. That's right. It doesn't come with a pay raise, just so no. you know. Um, what a shame. But uh, yeah, so we are here in the, uh, well, I was going to say the depths of the offseason, but I don't know. It feels like with there's enough summer ball going on, and mm-hmm. we're, we're going to talk assistant coaching changes right now. Certainly the transfer portal, while technically winding down, is still, Lord knows that's still pretty active. So yeah. I was going to say the depths of the offseason, but... Probably not quite, although we are coming up on that. There is a bit of a gap between summer ball and, you know, fall ball getting started in earnest. But anyway, uh, so today we are going to talk about the assistant coaching carousel. We've talked about the new head coaches in the league and going with that, of course, is new assistant coaches, certainly on those staffs that have changed over. But even on staffs that are existing head coaches that are they're staying in jobs, there's been some movement in the league, quite a bit of movement. So we wanted to run some of that down here today. But before we do any of that, I have to let you know that this episode of Highway to Hoover and every episode of Highway to Hoover is brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. We're super thankful, as we have been from the start of the season, for Brock's Gap Brewing and their partnership with us. Um, Looking forward to uh, a continued partnership with them into the 2024 season and beyond. So thanks again to our friends over there. Um, Mark, so we're going to talk assistant coaching today, and I think... A good place to start on this is that, technically speaking, every coaching staff has had changes this this mm-hmm. offseason, and that's because, well, we've had a long-awaited, long-hoped-for change in college baseball, and that's that we no longer have volunteer assistants. Uh, they are now third-paid assistants. Yep. So some some schools you know, hired somebody new, some, in a, I don't want to say a vast majority, but a good number of schools around the country simply just elevated their existing volunteer coach. Uh, unfortunately, not so, much, not so much in the SEC, obviously, but unfortunately in some places, I guess I shouldn't say the volunteer coach is no more because in some places they're, they're not paying a third assistant coach, budgetary reasons, whatever it is, mm-hmm. fine. We don't love that, but it's the reality. Um, so, that's interesting, I think, because that is something that we've been just waiting on for a, for a long time in our sport, Mark, and, and now it's arrived. We have three paid assistant coaches. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it was bandied about a long time and, you know, voted down um, several times, uh, and all because, you know, D1 is just so large, okay? You, so you have so many things, you know, you know a team like, I don't know, pick your pick your random you know, MEAC school or SWAC school, is they're not the same as an SEC power, okay? But they are. They're both D1 schools, and they're both, you know, governed by the same rules and the same, um, you know, they don't have the same budget, but they're expected to, to, to follow those same budgetary reasons. So I, I do think that because of that, that, that's why. I mean, so many of these schools just can't afford it. I mean, they, they aren't even a full – they aren't even giving their full 11.7 scholarships to players. They certainly can't afford uh, to, to add another coach. So there was always some concern in the, I guess, the, the non-power programs that adding this new assistant that, okay, it would just be a raid on the top mid-major assistants or even head coaches, right, to, to come in and do that. And, and honestly, we didn't see that this year. And, and I do think, you know, part of it was 
you know, if you're going to build a staff, you hire who you're comfortable with, you hire who you have relationships with. Uh, you, you, maybe you worked with someone in the past and, or, or, or worked with someone that they worked with who can vouch for them. Right. So you, you kind of understand what you're getting because chemistry is such a big part of, uh, of any coaching staff. So I, I, I think that, you know, some of the, the doomsday, you know, Hey, we're these, the rich get richer. Well, they are with players, but we really didn't see that from a, you know, rating coaching staff. So it may happen in the future after, you know, now they're, you know, this was an opportunity to elevate volunteers. And I think there was some loyalty there. Hey, you, you took an unpaid position. You were maybe camp coordinator or whatever. And, and now here's an opportunity to reward your loyalty. Um, but, but that only lasted this year. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, going forward, is it, you know, who's going to, who's going to fill that third, third role at, you know, when they clear, when somebody moves on for whatever reason. So it's, it's kind of fascinating to me because I really did think, you know, some, so many of us had talked about it that, Hey, the, the Sunbelt or CUSA, the top teams and their, their, their top assistants were going to be gone right to, to greener pastures. And to this point that, that didn't really materialize. It's such a good point. And this is, uh, for the listeners, this is why working with Marcus fun, because that's an angle that I hadn't even really considered is just that there was some thought that that would be a thing that happens and it still could be. Cause I, that's the most interesting part to me is, is, is you're right in that. I think in a lot of cases, I don't, you know, I, I don't really, cause let's be honest, let me set the table first. Let's be honest. The volunteer assistant coaches in many cases that yes, there were some restrictions on what they could and couldn't do. But they were mostly doing all of the the work a, a paid assistant coach would have done, right? There, it, it wasn't like his his workload was markedly lighter because he was the volunteer assistant coach, right? So, um, but I do think there was some level of wanting to, to your point, reward loyalty or mm -hmm. say, I think to be quite frank, I think there were some cases of like that's ah, probably a bad look if we don't elevate mm -hmm. the guy we've already had on our staff yeah. right because now he has nowhere to go right you can't just i mean you, you could make him you could put him in an ops position or a director of development position i guess but you know there's no more volunteer assistant it's not like three paid assistants and they still have the volunteer spot so you couldn't mm -hmm. even hold tight and just hire a new person so i do think that is an interesting element and that's not to say there's anything like nefarious going on or you know mm -hmm. but i think it's just that you know it, it would have been a, I think many people saw it as being a bad look if they weren't going to elevate the guy that has been on their staff. And it will be interesting to see now what, um, you know, what happens in ensuing off seasons now that maybe some of that has to your point that that's not a factor anymore, right? These guys right. are all being evaluated on level ground, if you will. So that, yeah. that is kind of a fascinating little subplot for sure. And it's great for those guys too, because you know, like you said, they were they were already really doing the job. Now they're on salary. You, you, you can budget. You understand where you're, you know, where how much money you're going to get every month, and you get insurance. You know, all those kinds of things that that an that you get as an employee where you didn't as a volunteer. Yeah, good. Yeah, great call. And it, this this whole this whole saga, we'll move on after after this because um, we do obviously have other business to attend to today, but. This whole saga with the, with the getting a third assistant coach has been so fascinating, uh, well, disheartening at times because, you know, there was so much confidence 
whenever it went up for a vote a few years back and it, and it, it not passing was, mm-hmm. I think, kind of caught a lot of people off guard. And maybe that motivated them to make sure it happened this time around. So maybe there's some silver lining there a little bit. Um, but it was it was kind of fascinating. You saw things like in anticipation of that a few years back, I think there was an assumption it was going to pass. And you started seeing, I don't know, for lack of a better way of putting it, you started seeing land grabs where mm-hmm. programs were bringing in really experienced coaches to be their volunteer. And it's like, why is that guy a volunteer? And it's And I think the thought was just kind of, Hey, this is probably a one-year thing. Right. We'll get a third paid assistant coach. We'll elevate you. So just for this year, you'll do the volunteer thing. And and it of course it it didn't didn't pan out that way. And so, you know, I'd have to go back and look and see how all those individual cases ended up kind of filtering through. But mm-hmm. uh anyway, that, I say all that to say this has been a long time coming. So c- congratulations to all you third assistant coaches out there who were previously volunteers. I I hope uh, to Mark's point about you getting insurance, I hope you had just have nothing but doctor's appointments lined up <laughs> for July and August for a bunch of stuff you've been putting off, man. Yeah. Like go, go and get those teeth looked at, get, get you those fillings you've been waiting on those crowns, yeah. uh, get, get your physical. Although, you know, working in the department, like you do, you probably had some sort of physical, but you know, go to the, go to the doctor and just have, have them give you the like 15,000 mile tune up. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like go there and, and just get get the works done. Use that insurance card. Shout out to uh, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, and and, and the rest of the gang in the insurance yeah. game. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys are enjoying those benefits there. All right, Mark. Let's talk about some of the specific moves. Yeah, we saw this off season in assistant coaching. Uh, I will let you hit lead off on this one. Okay. You're going to be the uh, the Craig Vigio of this uh, this I podcast here and hit lead off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just go anywhere you'd like. What what yeah. stands out to you most with what we saw this offseason? I think, you know, with, with LSU, Jay Johnson's been there two years and he's had three assistants move on to head coaching jobs. So, you know, he had two last year and then, you know, Wes took the Georgia job this year. So, uh, you know, that's that's an interesting spot. Obviously, it's a lot of advantages going to LSU. You, you, you know you're going to have great support. You're going to have all the advantages um, that 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 program has, and you're going to get a chance to work with you know incredible uh, talent, and you know as an assistant, as, as somebody who gets in the game to be a teacher, that it's got to be attractive. You know you're going to have dudes, and then it's just up to you to to mold them and get the most out of them, and so you know with with Yeski coming over to to you know from A and M to LSU. He's a, he was what at A and M two years, so you know he wasn't there. Was it was it just one year? I was I was thinking it was two years, but um, anyway, it's you know he wasn't there a long time, but but certainly one of the the most renowned pitching coaches, certainly in the college game. So to you know you lose a guy like Wes Johnson who was a big league pitching coach, um, you knew there'd be a lot of interest. I, you know, I, I didn't know who would, who would get that job. So certainly it's a, uh, you know, it was a good hire and obviously puts you in a position. If you want to be a head coach, um, you're in a great spot because, you know, your two predecessors have done it. It was two years. That's on me. Uh, for the listeners, Mark had it nailed and I had a brain fart, but yes, it was, it was, of course it was two years for Nate, for Nate Yeski at, at Texas A&M. Um, yeah, I, I, that, I think you, you kind of nailed the, the most interesting thing there. There's, there's a few things here. One is, you know, I think 
so, you know, Nate Yeski worked for Jay Johnson at Arizona. Obviously that went well, mm-hmm. you know, they uh, end up getting to Omaha together in, in 2021. And I think there was, there was, I think there was some misconception out there about, you know, Jay goes to LSU and doesn't take Nate Yeski with him. And I think there, there was maybe some misconception about why that was that maybe, Oh, is, uh, did they not enjoy working together? Is that relationships? And, and like, I don't like none of that was really the case. Mm-hmm. It's just, Sometimes in coaching changes, timing matters and who's looking at what matters. And there's just a lot of factors and not every, in not every case does it, does it work seamlessly. And so they get to link back up here and, and they're, they're going to look to recreate the success they had together um, at Arizona. So, um, so you, you nailed that, that, that part there. I think that's really, really interesting. There's also the Mississippi state pitching coach job, which, you know, was open during the season with Scott Foxhall They you know, they had to wait obviously for the season to end and they, they land mm-hmm. on Justin Parker from South Carolina, which is, I, I think um, just on its face, uh, um, a hire that makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. you know, South Carolina, obviously recruiting a high level of pitcher, getting a lot out of their pitching staff dealt with injuries last season and, and mostly navigated them effectively. Um, but there, there are some layers to this, right? I mean, he's in an interesting spot. And I think this is what made this opening particularly interesting is look, you, you know what you're getting on the upside with this job, right? I'm I'm sure it Mm -hmm. pays well, first of all, but also you're at Mississippi state, you know, that the fan support is what it is. The institutional support is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're going to have basically everything you're ever going to need to be successful. And then, but that, that it's like that saying goes though, is that, you know, you can either, you can either use the, well, I don't know if it's actual saying, but basically they, they, they've given them the opportunity to either, you know, uh, help dig that program out of trouble or dig their own grave, metaphorically speaking. Right. Yeah. And so, cause that, that's the reality of the situation, right? They've had back to back subpar ext- for that program, extremely subpar seasons. And if they have a third, yeah, I don't think we. I don't think we have to dance around the fact that if they have a third, like they're probably not getting an opportunity to to, to come back. To be so, a fourth, right? And he and he knows that. And, you know, he's not not dumb. Like so, he knows the score, knows the game, um, and so that, that there's some risk involved there. But but you have to like a guy going into that situation and betting on himself and betting that he can help be part of of the solution there. And it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. Yeah, and you know the reason Mississippi State struggles, especially last year, was on the mound. So this is, I mean, just a, a direct, um, you know, I guess an assault on that problem. Hey, here's here's how we're going to fix it. And unlike football, Mississippi State is is one of the absolute have most in in the sport. You know, in you know they're a have. You know, they're an SEC program in football, but but they're not at the level. You know the, the, you know at the top of the sport, and I mean maybe maybe LSU is in a in a elevated place, but not by much. I mean Mississippi State has everything they need to be successful, and uh, a solid uh, effort on the mound. They don't even have to be great because that offense is going to be really good this year, based on who they have coming back. They just need to be competent, right, and then have some flashes. And if they do that, they're in great shape. And if, and if you get better than that, then you're back in Omaha. So it, it's an opportunity to, you know, to come in and, and, you know, the other part of this is unlike in years past, you, you kind of had what you, what you had 
guys would come back and you had to develop them. Maybe you brought in a JC transfer. Maybe you had an impact freshman. In today's portal landscape, it's a snow globe roster, right? New one every week. Um, it seems like uh, a new player leaving every week during the summer. You're adding a new player. Uh, so, so there's an opportunity to go out and get your kind of guys, whatever that is, you know, and for every program it's different, but to be able to, to find those fits who, who can, who can pick you up and, and elevate you. And, and I think that that's what it, Mississippi state is, is looking to do because, you know, after the last two years, they're, they're kind of salty and that fan base is not real happy right now. It's, it's, it's time to, time to get back to, to hosting regionals and, and being a, a factor in the, in the national picture, which, you know, which I don't think they're that far away. Uh, certainly they, they just, they need to continue to develop some of those young pitchers and they, and they probably need to add a few pieces or two in the portal. I mean, Luke Holman hasn't made his decision as of, you know, as, as of publishing time of, of this podcast. So we don't know if it's Mississippi state or LSU who we feel are the two favorites. I mean, I think, I think he looked at Tennessee and Auburn as well, but I think it's going to come down to LSU and Mississippi state. And, and, you know, if he goes there, then, then there's an ace and then everybody else bumps down a spot. And all of a sudden, you know, Parker's a whole lot smarter because he's got, he's already got the ace figured out. So, but yeah, that, that's a, you bring up a good point because it, it is a risk. Um, you know, it could be a one-year gig if it doesn't go well. Um, but, you know, when, when you're at this level, you, you kind of, you, you need to have that self-confidence. Hey, I'm, I'm going to fix this. And if he does well, then it's in great shape. Either either he's he's there as long as he wants or or he's positioned himself for, for another elevation. Maybe he's going to get one of these sec head coaching jobs next opportunity yeah that's yeah i mean that's just yeah it's fascinating for for those reasons it just it could go could go either way and um you have we have guaranteed now by mentioning luke holman having not committed that he will 100 commit yeah. between the time we record this and when this is posted mm-hmm. like however long that is like if it's you're welcome if, we could post this thing five minutes after we're done and he will have found a way to commit in between the two yeah. in between the two times so um by the way i, I don't mean to bring well, actually i do mean to bring the show to a bit of a halt here because i, I want to nail down the proper metaphor here you mentioned snow globe roster and i get what you're mm-hmm. saying you know you you, sh- you shake it up and then you kind of see where everything settles mm-hmm. is that the proper metaphor and perhaps it is or is it maybe more of an etch-a-sketch you know, mm-hmm. where like you, you yeah. draw it and then you shake it to like get it to erase yeah. and then you start drawing again. Like it could too. be yeah. could could be either. Um mm-hmm. these are the important questions that we ask on Highway to Hoover. If you have a strong opinion, listeners, uh hit us up on, on Twitter or you know, however you can get a hold of us. Uh, if you know where I live, you can come knock on my door and tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually please don't do that. So yeah. hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Anyway, moving on. Let's let's talk about. Oh, well, I'm going to transition to at least to some of these coaching staffs that came with new head coaches, right? So, of course, we had new head coach at Alabama, new head coach at Georgia, new head coach at Missouri, and I think of those three, I think all kind of come with their own interesting things. I think of those three, I'm fascinated by what Missouri did and to be fair most of that comes from the fact that they're bringing back Tim Jamison as the pitching coach 
right. which is a thing that, you know, when, when, when Carrick was announced as the hire was a thing that I joked about in our D one baseball internal chat, because Carrick is coming from Memphis. His pitching coach at Memphis was, you guessed it, Tim Jamison. So it wasn't just like joking <laughs> about bringing back coach Jay from wherever he was. It was, no, this guy was literally his pitching coach at his last stop. And so look, I mean, if you just take it at face value that this is going to work, it's a great hire because Tim Jamison is a extremely well-respected, extremely successful pitching coach with a long track record of success. There's like, no one has ever argued that point. Right. So there, there's that. Um, but will it be awkward? Hmm. Um, will it, you know, will it, and not just awkward from the standpoint of like, I don't know, like the, the relationship between Jameson and, and, and the school or whatever. But I also just mean Tim Jameson ran this program and it hasn't been that long ago, frankly. Right. And, and this is a little bit of an indictment of, of where Mizzou baseball is, but not much has changed. You know, <laughs> I mean, he, he coached right. literally in that stadium as it looks now, basically. Like it, it's not like Mississippi state where if you, you know, if John Cohen tomorrow decided he wanted to be an assistant for Chris Lonis, right? Like mm -hmm. he, it would be the same program, but it, it'd be in a different place than it was before. Yeah. Well, not the case with, with, with Tim Jamison coming back to Missouri. And so now there are some, some reasons to personally Joe's opinion. I don't think it's going to be an issue uh, among the factors. There is that the administration that let him go and before hiring Steve Beezer is no longer there. It, it's a totally new administration. So if there were hard feelings and, and I don't, I don't know how much there, there were, but it stands to reason there might've been some that that's really no longer an issue. There's also the fact that, you know, Tim Jamison never didn't really disappear from view at the university before he got back into coaching. He was doing some ESPN, you know, the, the, the ESPN plus games from Columbia, you know, doing, doing some announcing. So He's, he's right. been around. It's a new administration. So I, I, I am kind of optimistic that this is going to work, but, but man, it is kind of a, just a really fascinating experiment. They're running there. They filled out the rest of that, that, um, coaching staff with Bryson LeBlanc, who's been at UC San Diego, uh, former Mizzou player during the heyday of Missouri. He was there in, in 05 and 06 you know, some of the best Mizzou teams that Jameson put together was during that time. So I don't think that's a coincidence. They're reaching back for someone from that period of time. And then they also brought in Jabari Brown from Vanderbilt. And, and he's a mm -hmm. fascinating hire because he came from the uh, Maggie Corbin minority coaching apprenticeship. And I may have mangled some of the, the wording of that title there, but it's a basically a, an apprenticeship with the name of Maggie Corbin, who is Tim Corbin's wife um, at Vanderbilt. And so he's been there a couple of years and um, Carrick is going to give him a crack at, at being a coach in, in the SEC, a, a young black coach. And um, I know creating that pipeline of minority coaches in college baseball is something that's important to Carrick. I've, I've heard him talk about that and, and how important that is. And so um, this is an opportunity for Jabari Brown to kind of start on that path. And, and we'll see, he's a young coach. I think there's some, some positive to that, but also, you know, uh, he's, he's in the metaphorically in the big leagues now. Right. And yeah. so I'll, I'll be interested to see how that, that dynamic works there. But so to me, Mark, that was the one that caught my eye among the, yeah. the, the totally new coaching staffs. Um, where are you at on that? Is there another one that stands out to you? 
Well, just first off on Missouri, I'm trying to, to recall a similar situation where a former head coach has come back as, as an assistant at the same school in, in any sport. I'm just trying to, trying to recall this situation. Is there a precedent? I'm sure there has, but certainly I'm not, I'm not recalling it. So that, yeah, that I mean, is interesting. Yeah. We certainly get the the head coach returning for multiple stints. We, you know that that mm-hmm. happens. But yeah, I, I'm sure there is an example. So we'll we'll get that on the on mm-hmm. the record for the listeners who, you know, are, are probably screaming at the radios if they have an example. I'm sure it exists. Yeah. But yeah, it it is rare. Let us know. You and, yeah, yeah <laughs> it is rare enough that you and I are struggling to come up with one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the the other part of this is, you know, Kerry Jackson, um, new to the SEC. So having someone who's, who's kind of been through the wars um, can help. But, but honestly, the, the league is so different now and the, the landscape of the sport is so different now. I don't, you know, other than knowing, you know, know knowing are all the best places to eat going around the league, um, I, I don't know what else is, you know, what else you're going to gain from it because the sport that, that Tim Jamison was at Missouri – coaching is so different than it is now just with you know the things everybody's i don't have to i don't have to mention them so so that's that's really interesting uh shifting gears you know and and we've talked about this but jason jackson staying at at alabama i think that was a great call by rob ball and sound like it was kind of one of those things that that once rob kind of you know once he knew that the job was his, you know, that was plan A, Hey, get the job. And then plan B was, okay, I got to find a way to keep, keep JJ. And as you know, trying to, to keep some continuity, keep some of the players, although they did lose quite a bit in the portal, um, being able to uh, have that continuity. And again, somebody who's been in the league, but has been in the league recently, um, is, is a huge benefit for, for a new coach who's, who's coming in. You know, Rob was at Maryland, so coming into to this, very successful there, going to build the program his way. But it's, you know, it's, it, it's, there are some things, um, that some challenges that this league represents and presents that, that aren't there at Maryland. And having somebody who can, hey, you need to sidestep this pothole you're about to step in. Um, is is a huge benefit. Yeah, and similar to what we talked about with Coach Jamison back in Mizzou, that one of the unknowable factors, at least right now, is just I'm sure Jason Jackson wanted that job, right? He did a great Mm -hmm. job in that job on an interim basis at the end of last season. And how does that coaching staff work together? Uh, You know, Jason Jackson's a professional. He's not going to sulk about it, but I'm just saying that, Mm -hmm. you know, he – obviously had a vision for how that program should operate and how it did operate. And, and it's going to be different now with Rob Vaughn at, at the helm. And how does that work? It's just, you know, there, there are some things to navigate there, especially given that Rob brought with him a couple of his guys from, from Maryland, right? So mm-hmm. it, you get Anthony Papio and, and Mike Morrison, Mike Morrison, also a pitching guy, former coastal Carolina pitcher. And is, is yeah. from all, from everything I heard a rising star in, in the coaching game, Mike Morrison. So, that's a dynamic too. You know, Rob brought a couple of his guys. It's not a, not a coaching staff that he pulled from three different places. Right. So that, that is another factor there 
that uh, those three guys are obviously going to have a pretty clear idea of what they have done that's been successful and can you replicate that or are they you know how willing will they be to deviate from things they've done because Jason Jackson or whoever says hey that that's not really going to work here like it did in, mm-hmm. the, in the Big Ten right so things to to monitor there Georgia of course is the other coaching staff that, that totally turned over with Wes Johnson and it's it's a staff that I find interesting because it's kind of pulled from different places a lot of times coaching yeah. staffs I think you see themes from top to bottom so like the mizzou coaching staff i guess outside of jabari brown it's like the theme is like let's reach back to the time when mizzou baseball was winning and was working and let's see what we can recreate here right um you know and then with the alabama coaching staff it's kind of like again let's it's continuity let's papio and morrison and then the continuity of having jason jackson still there um georgia's feels like a kind of a grab bag and that's not a criticism but just kind of a grab bag from different things where you know they bring in will coggin who was at kentucky and was instrumental in building out the roster that got kentucky to a super regional last year a lot of po- heard a lot of positive things all year about what will coggin has done there so he's he's well respected they brought in josh simpson who is the lsu's director of ops he's a former Rangers scouting supervisor so he's got kind of a a varied background and a, and a lot of different things going for him there. And then they, they kept on Brock Bennett, who was a volunteer at Georgia under Scott Strickland. They, they've kept him on and, and obviously elevated him to a full-time role. So that's hmm. kind of an interesting staff just because it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have a big overarching theme and yeah. that's kind of intriguing. Well, didn't when Wes was at Mississippi state, uh, didn't, wasn't cog in there as well. I, that, if that I remember made, correctly. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think there's a there's a familiarity um, with those, and, and again, that's what kind of how we kick this thing off. You want to have people that that you're comfortable with, that that you know that are aligned, right, with your vision, and and, and I think that's important. Um, yeah, and you know, Brock Bennett's a guy who's kind of been right right on that, you know, kind of rising star kind of guy who's who's been you know making a name for himself really good uh, personable kind of kind of person that you know that can help with recruiting and and I think that's you know if you're Georgia and you have all those players coming into either who live in the Atlanta area or are visiting the Atlanta area for all these showcases uh, there's, there's a huge opportunity to just certainly elevate that that uh, recruiting uh, from, from what they've had which hasn't been bad but it, but I mean, they they could they could get anybody they want, right? It's certainly, if the administrative support um, comes through, uh, that's been um, hinted. So, I think those are you know those are you know it's a solid staff. I think the only other thing I you know that I would mention is there's certainly been a uh, pitching um, or minor league pitching coordinator. Um, fit or uh, an influx coming in for, for these high profile jobs. I mean, I think that's something that we're going to see more of because it's worked and, you know, it's an opportunity you can come in and, and have some success and, you know, either, either enjoy the job you have or, or even get, you know, turn it into a, to a head, head coaching job. Absolutely. Then that's a point I was, I was going to touch on here in, in just a minute quickly, the, the knock on effect of Will Coggin leaving Kentucky 
is Austin Cousineau is coming back. He's uh, obviously a, one of the legendary players in Kentucky baseball history. Uh, he was most recently a scout for the Tigers. He also has some SEC coaching experience. He was at Mississippi State for a, a brief period of time, also coached at Xavier for a couple of years. So, you know, he's been in the college coaching game periodically, but was most recently a scout. Obviously a guy who has a really high uh, a really high Q rating, if you will, in Lexington, mm -hmm. popular player. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that was a, just kind of a natural fit for Kentucky to, to fill in when, when Will Coggin uh, took the job at, uh, at Georgia. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the minor league pitching coordinator role as kind of a new, I don't know, pipeline that college mm -hmm. baseball has tapped. And one of the ones that I find most interesting there is Everett Tiford coming into Auburn after Darren Schoenrock stepped away. And what I find interesting about it is that, and, and first off Darren Schoenrock, you know, stepping away because it's my understanding that basically his, you know, his family was still in Memphis. He was obviously in Memphis for a long time and he just really didn't mm -hmm. want to live that life of being away during the season and, and having his family somewhere else. And, so I, I think we can take what was said about that change about him just wanting to be close to family. I think that's, that's one we can take it at pretty close to face value there um, because he also was instrumental in, look, we've talked a million times about how Auburn's pitching was what it was. And they, they, you know, continued to get better and, and ended up being good enough when it looked like that, that unit mm -hmm. might not be. And I think coach rock had a lot to do with that. And, um, and, and Butch Thompson has, has given him that, that credit. So that being said, why it's interesting to me is that, you know, Butch Thompson's obviously a, a great pitching mind in his own right. Coach Rock has a long track record of, of working with pitchers, and, and that's where, what he's known for. But I do wonder, those guys are both college baseball lifers, Butch and Coach Rock. And I, I do wonder if with, with Tiford now, if, if maybe it kind of does give a different perspective, mm -hmm. you know, which maybe Butch may be coming at it from one angle and Coach Tiford coming at it from another angle. Um, does that maybe give Auburn a, a little bit of a different wrinkle in the way they yeah. work with their pitchers, develop their pitchers that maybe they weren't necessarily getting with two dyed in the wool, you know, Southern college baseball coaches in Butch and coach rock. Yeah. D different, certainly different generation, you know, cause you know, Butch and rock are more my generation and Everett's more your generation. So you have some different ideas, you know, as, as you're, you're going in there and you wonder about the role in you know analytics and you know and not just analytics but all the you know understanding your body right and understanding how to move appropriately and all those things that used to were just kind of byproducts if we did it great but it wasn't really a focus now I mean it's it's it, now if you don't do it you're you're falling behind so those kinds of things are are, are you know, fascinating to see how that changes and and does it affect you know you know the the product on the field. I think the other the other school I want to bring up would be South Carolina. You know, we talked to, at, at length about about Parker leaving and how they would fill that role was was interesting. And and they you know like we talked about with a third assistant, they did go to to a mid major, right? So they brought in Matt Williams from Liberty. Uh, also brought in Joey Holcomb from Campbell. So kind of elevated two, two very successful programs, uh, guys that had a lot of success. And now th they got the call, right, to, to, to come up to the SEC and, 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 and work with Mark Kingston. So I, I think those, 
you know, from the outside looking in, looked like looked like solid hires. So it's just a question of you know trying to to fit in. And you know, South Carolina has been that program that you know they're really good, and then they have a step back, and then they're good, and then they have a step back, and it's kind of seesawing, right? And and I think that's going to be the challenge for them heading into you know the next spring uh, to or this spring now <laughs> is to be able to. Um, you know, establish that consistency and not have that fallback. Yeah. It's, and it's two different that, that South Carolina additions, it's two kind of two different guys in terms of what they're bringing to the table. Matt Williams, uh, although, you know, a, a young looking, like he, he, he's got a, got a little bit of baby face going on, Matt Williams mm-hmm. at South Carolina, but, but he's, you know, pitching coach for almost two decades in the college game, UNCW, you mentioned Liberty, um, sure long, long track record of success there. And then Joey Holcomb, um, you know, kind of on, on a guy who's a little bit younger and, and has kind of worked his way up from, you know, a volunteer at NC state full-time position at Campbell. And, and now is getting a crack, you know, full-time in, in, in the sec at, at South Carolina. So, um, the, the other, the last coaching change here that we, that we haven't touched on is also a, a pitching coach, also a, you know, guy coming from pro baseball and that's Max Wiener from the Mariners organization taking over at Texas A&M with Nate Yeski leaving to go to LSU. And, and it strikes me again, that this is one where, you know, there are a lot of factors when an assistant coach get hired. It, it's, you know, how they jive with the existing staff. It's all these things, but I, I, I wonder if it's not nothing that you have a very Nate Yeski again, college baseball lifer, has that, that kind of perspective on things. And then you bring in Max Wiener, a guy from the pro game, you know, yeah. is going to provide is, was Jim Slosnagel in Texas A&M looking for something a little bit different. Now, obviously you lose Nate. Yes. You're losing one of the you know best <laughs> collegiate pitching coaches out there. So it's not necessarily yeah. that you're, you know, you're looking for that upgrade, but given the situation they were in, was it an opportunity for them to say, Hey, let's look at this a little bit differently. Let's maybe try to, yeah, um, bringing some different ideas. Yeah, yeah, and, and and look, I mean, I I don't think this was necessarily just on Nate Yeski, but last year's results on the mound for a And M weren't what they were looking for. So, I yeah. mean, perhaps there is a feeling of we like the talent we have here. Let's see if maybe taking a little bit of a different tack can give us some different results. Yeah, and it's it's always interesting to you because you don't know exactly who the who the top candidates were for that job. So it's it's you're evaluating. Okay, well. Where do I, what do I want out of this role from from a candidate? But you're also evaluating. Okay, well, who's gonna who's gonna bring who already brings you know the the most ability or the or the best teaching methods or the best pedigree or results or whatever you want to call it. So it's sometimes it's what you know it's you're trying to find what you want, but other times it's hey this this is the best candidate regardless of what I want. I need to bring this person in. Okay. So it's, so I, you know, it's, it's always an interesting dynamic having hired people a lot over in, a, in my other life of trying to find, you know, you go into it thinking, okay, well, here, here's what I'm really looking for. And then you look at your candidates and maybe no, none of them have exactly what you're looking for. So then you're finding out, well, what do they do? What, what can they bring to the table to, to improve it? And maybe I wasn't even thinking about that. Right. When I went into the process. So that it's, you know, that's that's another part. When we talk to coaches, 
you know, that that's always one of the questions I want to ask. Well, you know, how did you land on this staff? Okay. What, what were the, where, where, where was your head going in and then where was it coming out? Cause usually they're in different places. It's, and that's a great bow to kind of put on this conversation because ultimately we we've mentioned it time and again, you know, when you make these hires, you're, you're looking for a lot of things, but ultimately in the end, the results are going to be what dictates, you know, mm -hmm. how long those coaches stick around, how long those staff stick around and, and, and how, how far teams go in, into the month of June. And so that's what we'll be watching for moving forward. And, and, you know, I should have said this up top, frankly, but look, I mean, predicting how head coaches are going to perform in mm -hmm. certain roles is tough enough as it is. Like we, you know, we routinely get surprised by, you know, uh, things that we thought were locks to work that just don't work. And then things that we kind of looked a little sideways yeah. at end up working out swimmingly. And it, it's just because there, there are folks who are smarter than Mark and I making, <laughs> making those decisions. And yeah. with this, with assistant coaches, it's even more opaque, right? I mean, to, to understand, the impact of an individual assistant coach is really, really hard. And and sometimes you can read some tea leaves here and there, but um, that's tough. And so the, the folks inside the program, obviously know, know some about that, but for Mark and I, or for, you know, fans at home, it's, it's sometimes tough, but, but ultimately it's a, it's a results oriented business and that's what it's going to boil down to in the end. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of spurred a thought here uh, talking about assistants moving into the head coaching job because that's a different, different skill set. Okay. Now, there's some carryover, but it's obviously when you're when you're more managing people and managing personalities and egos and roster management and, and all of those, when you're only a contributor to it versus being, okay, well, it, it stops with me, it's 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 a different skill set. So you can be really successful as an assistant and it doesn't necessarily trans, you know, transfer in, into the big chair. So that's it, a you know, but you don't know till you get there because, and obviously most head coaches have been assistants at some point in their life and they've learned those skills. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, it, it takes some time to acquire, you know, you need some time in the chair really to, to understand how, how to make those decisions. So we've got some new, new coaches this year. Um, Wes Johnson will be a first time head coach. Um, obviously Rob Vaughn has, you know, spend time at Maryland and, and Carrick's been a head coach too, but it's, it's just different when you move into, move into this league, there are different things to deal with that, that you don't have to other places. Yeah, certainly at the, at the mid-major level, certainly the lower levels of college baseball, you can, you can be a head coach and yes, no matter the level that still comes with personnel management and Mm -hmm. uh, things like that, that, that didn't come with being an assistant coach, but the lower levels, you can still kind of be a ball coach, yeah. you know, and be a head coach because you have to, right. I mean, you're still working pretty closely with players, but in the sec, there's just a lot of other stuff that comes with the job that, you know, just isn't, isn't a fit for everyone. And, and so yeah. you, you, you know, it, but, it, but it's the reality and it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's the challenge that these guys are ready to, to take on. So yeah, a lot of perks. Plus they get to talk to us. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's certainly, uh, that's gotta be at the top of the list. They're just not, they're just banging our door down to, uh, to, to get on this podcast. They can't, can't wait. Um, but no, look, certainly looking forward to look, Mark and I are, you know, we'll be this fall. We'll be, I mean, first of all, we plan on talking to some coaches on this podcast, but also once we get to the fall, when we start cranking out fall reports, and I'm sure we'll have some other content during the fall here on, on SEC Extra. 
Mark and I certainly looking forward to getting out and, you know, talking to these new head coaches, some of these new assistant coaches and, and, and bringing that information back to you so that we can make you a more informed fan of SEC baseball and what these, what these coaching staffs are going to bring to the table. So mm-hmm. forward to diving in a little bit more on that. That is going to do it for this episode of Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. Thank you once again to Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama for sponsoring this and every episode of Highway to Hoover. Uh, Thank you, Mark, as always, for joining me. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.